Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. We love to worship Him, don't we? You know, it's all worth it. Not that He sends the trial, the test, the hard time, the dryness, the test to your body, the test to your emotion. But to endure past it because of who He is, it's well worth it. The world doesn't have this hope. The world doesn't have this joy. So everything that we're facing, everything that you're going through, everything that you face that wants to stop you, discourage you, it's a contradiction. It's worth it to go to keep going forward. It's more than worth it. Joy, peace, hallelujah. Every dry time that you you go through, he didn't order it that way. Might be your flesh giving you a problem. Might, might be the enemy giving you a problem. Might be just you're doing all the right things. But keep going forward. Hallelujah. Keep going forward. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to take just a moment to hand out Sunday's prophecy. That's not what the service is about, but we want to be faithful in the small things so that he will reward us in the, the larger, the bigger things. So go ahead and hand that out. We'll read that, and then we'll go on with tonight's message. This is a short prophecy. It's not a robust kind of, I would call it a robust kind of prophecy, but nevertheless, every word is faithful and true. And so we want to give honor to whom honor is due, which is the Lord. And these prophecies are always posted on our website. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, this particular prophecy was a little bit different in that it was a prophecy that was given in song. And uh, you could call it, you know, tongues and interpretation, but it was prophecy in in song. Um, A song of healing is it titled. And... uh, I kind of expect, I'll tell you what, I, I kind of expect that the prophecy and song is going to be something that's going to hit our worship team. Amen. Let the healer minister to you now. now. I'm not going to sing this. It was sung. Let the healer minister to you now. For the same God that comforts the hearts heals the body. Oh, the same God that comforts the hearts heals the body says the Spirit of the Lord. As I comfort you in your emotions, I also heal your bodies. There's nothing beyond my reach, says the Lord. Receive of me, for freely, freely I've received from my Father, and freely I give to you, says the Spirit of the Lord. Come by the wine, come by the milk, without money and without price, says the Lord. That's a scripture out of Isaiah, by the way. Freely these things are yours, my inheritance. Receive them without cost. Receive them from my grace. Receive them from uh, from the price that I paid, says the Spirit of the Lord. And we all said amen, right? Praise the Lord. Well, let's pray and then we'll move forward in the word. Let me say uh, Sunday night. There will be no Sunday night because we have a Memorial Day, uh, no Sunday night service because they, we have a Memorial Day uh, weekend coming up. And then June, is it 6th? Is that the date? 6th. Sunday night we will have a worship service and then a short one hour at least uh, fellowship. I couldn't even believe my own ears. When I said Sunday, it had been 18 months, a year and a half. What's that? Tuesday's June. That's amazing. I don't know where. We always say that. I don't know where that, you know, but, it's, but honestly, it just seems like it's speeding up. It just does. You know, I said we had a, cup, a couple of uh, small things. Uh, there was a small group that got to see Jim last february when he was here for a little bit in fellowship and then there was uh the uh the alabama bunch came down last year but as far as a church fellowship we really didn't have anything until the ladies had something last saturday 
and we've and uh, still we haven't got everybody together yet. So hallelujah, fellowship's necessary. Father, we worship you. Yours is the glory. Yours is the praise. We have nothing to give of ourselves, but we so desire to give to receive from you that we have something to minister in this life to break the bread of life and give an answer for all those who come lord that come in the masses who come as the individuals lord for our family that's watching tonight our family wherever they're at we thank you for them lord because they're a vital part of this church and a vital part of this ministry help us Holy Spirit, help us, help us to minister, we pray in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to make reference. To, I can't get away from some of the things that were said Sunday uh, in the teaching, and, and some, of the, a lot of, some of that will be said again tonight. Not so much uh, in exact, but some of the references because the Lord was speaking to me past Sunday and it was just so many different things that were, were said um, concerning um, the message Sunday was give Ishmael nothing. And we went to a couple places. We're going to go back to those places just for a short review on those scriptures. And the first one was in uh, Galatians chapter 4. So if you want to turn there, because those two places are... Um, when I read this place out of Galatians, the scripture out of Galatians, and then we go to Genesis chapter 21, uh, both of them are really saying really the same thing, but they're the perfect picture of um, how the flesh works and how that we're supposed to deal with the flesh. Now, our message tonight's not all about how to deal with the flesh. Some of it is, and some of it's defining the flesh and defining giving some more scriptural defining, defining uh, to who we are and what we're about in our warfare so we can make a better stand. But um, let's read in Galatians to start with. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4, and it says in verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Well, you could say we're the children that have been born again. We're no longer under the law, but we've we've received the promise which was christ the seed verse 29 but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit even so it is now so we can use that as a teaching illustration to say what we said sunday is that the flesh will always try to dominate the spirit and we we're going to read in genesis in just a moment uh, but verse 39, or 30 says, Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Now, obviously, uh, because so many lessons around here and, and, and this lesson it's not hard for us. Maybe you're new. Maybe you're new. I've, I've got to speak to new, new people as well. Um, but this is a picture of flesh and spirit. And we're going to define more about what flesh is in a little bit. But it is a picture, the son of the bondwoman. And we'll read and see who that is real briefly again in just a moment. Is a picture of the flesh. The bondwoman and the son are both a picture of the flesh. And Paul is speaking to the churches of Galatia, the province of Galatia, and he's reminding them some things about why not to go back under the law, which would be also a representation of the flesh. But he gives us a scriptural example here, and let's go to that scriptural example because he just quoted it when he wrote there in Galatians. But let's go all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 21. We're not going to recap all of this uh, for sake of time. Abraham, um, which is the father 
you know, Romans describes him as the father of faith. The seed was promised to him, not seed plural, but seed one singular being Christ. He said he will come through your lineage. And uh, God had plans. He had a had a plan for Abraham because he was faithful in his house um, and he trusted God. We can't go through Abraham, the history of Abraham. But God promised him a son. Sarah, which was his wife, uh, had a great idea, she thought, but it was not a God idea. And um, she gave, which was the custom of the day. We can't go back into even trying to verify why that why it was. But the custom of the day was if you had a if the woman had a bond servant or a bond slave that was in her uh, care and served her. The custom was they all recognized it that uh, if the woman was bare or barren and she could not produce a child, something was wrong. She could get her bond servant to her husband and they could conceive if possible. Then the child would not be accounted to the bond servant or bond slave, but to the, the mistress of the house, the woman of the house that would be hers. Sounds crazy. Uh, it is in that sense of the word according to God's logic and God's righteousness. But nevertheless, that's that's what happened. She gave a servant, Hagar, to her husband, and they produced, and they produced a son. The son grew, but God said, I'm not, I'm not having that. I'm not, you're not going to force me into uh, pronouncing a blessing on something that was produced out of the flesh. It's still going to be like I said it was going to be. It's still going to be through Sarah. And so when Sarah's 90 and, and uh, Abraham's 100, she conceives amazing i mean we won't go into the academics of of two people that old conceiving but it happened it happened and so and god caused it to happen but when we get to verse 8 it describes that the child being isaac was old enough to be weaned the child grew and was weaned and abraham made a great feast big barbecue big big shindig a big get together the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son, which was, which was Ishmael, the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore, that means making fun. Wherefore, she said, making fun of who? Of Isaac. That's exactly what Paul said in Galatians, that the flesh will also always persecute the spirit. So it said here, she saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had had, she had born unto Abraham mocking, wherefore she said unto Abraham, she said, Sarah, cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight. Because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation. Because he is thy seed. And Abraham arose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water, which was a wineskin, of course, and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now, okay, that's all we need to read there. And that's all we can can afford to stay in those particular scriptures. So. The flesh, according to Galatians, was born or the, the flesh was conceived uh, by Hagar. The Hagar and Ishmael are, are representations of the flesh. But you first have to, let's recognize some things. First of all, <laughs> whose flesh 
uh, we, in a general sense, they are the, the symbolism of the flesh because they were produced by the flesh. But really, whose flesh were they? They were Abraham and Sarah's flesh. In other words, they're getting ahead of God. You don't find in Scripture that Hagar came to uh, Sarah and said, you know, I'd like to sleep with your husband. Sarah had a good idea, she thought. And then she goes to Abraham, and you don't, you don't see where Abraham fought it. You know, his flesh was, okay, well, that's the man in him. And I'm not trying to be vulgar, I'm just saying he had to have pleasure to produce. So they got together, and they produced a son. But I want you to notice here that um, God does not even... God doesn't call him, when he's talking to Abraham, he doesn't call him your son. He never says your son. There's one place where it said Abraham's son, but it, didn't, it never said that God said he's your son. He said both in Paul's quote and also here, the son of the bondwoman. In other words, God never ever recognized the flesh. He never recognized the conception of the flesh. The flesh and then in everything, the flesh was Hagar, of course, that whole conception. But everything that the flesh produces, the son of the flesh, which was, was Ishmael. Notice that God does not acknowledge Ishmael, Ishmael as Abraham's son, but refers to him as the son of the bondwoman. Ishmael was not conceived by the power of God in Abraham's life. Therefore, God would not acknowledge him in the inheritance. Now, <laughs> the other thing that you have to notice, two, two things really that's important. We notice by these two passages that God never calls him Abraham your son. I want you to, I want you to do something about your son. In fact, where we're, what we want to notice now is the, he said, cast out. Cast out, put away from you uh, the son of the bondwoman. He doesn't say to Abraham in such a way, uh, negotiate, negotiate. So here again, here's the picture, and this is what we have to see. We've seen it before, see it again in this picture, that there's no negotiation with the flesh. There was no negotiation with, now see, here, here's my way of thinking. Here's, here's how I would think. I would think according to the natural senses, if God had said something like that to me, I'd, my, my first reaction, not knowing all of this truth, would be, well, Lord, he's my son. Uh, can he just stay? But we won't give him any of the inheritance. Can he just stay in the camp? And we went through Sunday of how... Uh, earlier chapters how rich how absolutely rich that abraham was at, at this moment in time uh, but the inheritance that abraham had what abraham had uh it was isaac's it wasn't it it, it, be, it belonged presently to abraham but it was i it it was isaac's it, here's this little guy running around and all these people and all the riches of it they it belongs to him I mean, he's just weaned. He's just barely weaned. He's not even running around. But at the time, God says, I want you, perfect picture, I want you to cast the flesh out of the camp, no negotiation, and I'm not even going to call him your son. He's the son of the bondwoman. And he does it repeatedly here. He, we saw it in Galatians. We see it here in chapter 21 of Genesis God gives no inheritance. Now, I'm going to say some things and we'll give some scripture here. Now, as I give some of these scriptures, you can follow, like you can turn there. If we move a little bit quicker than you getting there, that's fine. You can write them down or listen to the message a little bit later if you want to pick up the notes. Um, God does not give place to the flesh in the midst of your inheritance and say, let it live among you. In other words, the flesh can live among the things that I have. Ephesians talks about that we've been given an inheritance. What is that inheritance? Well, it's Christ in us. And it's everything that Christ is to us, in us, and through us. In other words, 
it's the 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 it's not only the provision of Christ, but it's everything that Christ has become through us to the world. It's that inheritance that we're supposed to be giving them. But the flesh, again, there's a notable picture that we just seen. The flesh cannot negotiate a place of inheritance in spiritual things or in, in the spirit. Galatians five sixteen through 18. This I say, then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. And it's describing the war here. The flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And we're not talking about the Holy Ghost. We're talking about Galatians there. And this he's talking about your born again spirit. For the flesh lusteth against the, you could say the born again spirit. And the born again spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. So that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, if there is a prevention of being able to accomplish, it is because you succeeded or you you gave over to the war. You allowed the war between the flesh and the spirit to come between you and obedience. It's not a pronouncement. That that word there is not a pronouncement that when this war takes place, you're not going to be able to do what you want to do. It's simply telling us that when that does take place, it's because the war... Uh, you have given permission to the war to accomplish more than what it was supposed to. But if you be led of the Spirit, that doesn't mean, uh, it's not talking about there in context, like the Holy Spirit's going to lead me, like divine leadership. Uh, He's going to tell me where to go, what to do. That is a truth in the Word of God, and there's plenty of scriptures to support that. But the leading of the Spirit here is a dominance of the spirit life, the life of Christ in you that dominates every part of your life. That's what he's talking about. But if, the, but if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Notice that God sent the flesh. God, notice that God sent the flesh out. I, this is amazing. I, it, I started to say I, I like this, but I like the picture. I don't say I like what happened to uh, Ishmael and Hagar. But notice that God sends... What with what we just read in chapter 21 of Genesis, he sends them out with uh, a bottle of water and a loaf of bread. That's all they get. Now, he's telling you by that, that the, as the New Testament says, make no provision for the flesh. Um, now, he's not, this is not, it's not talking about God not being the God of prosperity and blessing to, to things, to get things over to you. But he's talking about the flesh part of you, and we'll define that even more in just a few moments. But that you that God has no plans on providing any part of provision for that for the flesh or the flesh appetites. Are you still with me? Hallelujah! Can you say Amen? The picture. Now, just think about it just for some, a, a minute. God says, uh, cast out. Amazing enough, this is his son. This is his seed. It does say this. This is your seed. And because he's your seed, I'm going to bless him. But I want you to totally remove him from the camp. And all I want you to, all I want you to send him out with is a, a loaf of bread and a bottle of water. That's all I want you to send them out with. That's not even a picnic lunch. That's nothing. That's absolutely stripping the flesh of everything, all provision to carnal appetites, um, all provision to anything that could distract. Amen? Hallelujah. Are you still with me? Is everybody a little warm? Okay, well, let's... Marty, can you do Homer's not, but God bless Homer. He's he's not. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You got us. You got to stay with me on this. Hallelujah. If we need to do a seventh inning stretch, we'll do that. Glory be to God. Things get a little bit warm and everybody gets a little bit hazy eyed. 
Everybody stand up. Hallelujah. Say, Pastor, you're doing real good, I know, but you need, you need to stretch. Hallelujah. We need some fresh air. Glory be to God. Wave at somebody. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. Amen. All right, you can be seated. For those of you who are watching, this is summertime. Our front air conditioning needs to be replaced. It gets stuffy in here on Wednesday nights. Not so much on Sunday mornings because we run the air all night on uh, Saturday night. But Wednesday, it is, you know, hallelujah. It is what it is until we replace it. And we will replace it at some point. Um, Notice again that God sends the flesh out with nothing. Absolutely nothing but a loaf of bread and a bottle of water. Um, that's drastic. How does, let me, let me, let me, this is not the lesson, but how does Ishmael live? Um, how do, how do Ishmael's live in the camp of inheritance today? How does, how does that work? I mean, give us a, give us one kind of example. Well, there's many different examples how that Ishmael can live, Ishmael being the flesh, but it can live in a place of where the call is working or where um, the inheritance is working. Let's just give one example. Let me think of one. This is one. um, Gospel entrepreneurs, givers. Now, I have seen givers in this house that have been able to break past this. But even after somebody, somebody says, well, I'm called to be a gospel entrepreneur, make a million dollars for the kingdom of God. And I'm not making fun of that. There are many people that are really are called to do that or make substantial amounts of money for the kingdom of God. But I also like what Pastor Dave said. He said, usually by the time the man has made the money, the money has made the man. So that's so. And oftentimes, even when a man or a woman receives a call and goes into their ministry and they can hear their call and then they they hear enough from God to know how to make it then the flesh begins to want to vote on how they spend it or who they give it to or how much they give it to uh the flesh has no it Ishmael can't stay in the camp it's not allowed uh as i said thank god we've seen blessings from people that have broke through that in the past, and I, I give all the glory to God. But I'll tell you what, I've also seen, I've also seen the attitude like, okay, I've got a bunch. I'm going to wait for a while because this bunch is going to make a bunch more. And this bunch is going to make a bunch more. And then when it makes a whole bunch, then I'm going to give a whole bunch to the kingdom. All during those years, people are going to hell. And the gospel's not being preached. And this, this lesson's not about money. It's just about teaching people how that Ishmael has to con- forever be cast out. Amen? Um, the, enemy, the enemy is with your flesh, which is the carnal mind and the unsanctified appetites of the body. Did you hear me? The enemy is with the flesh, which is the carnal mind. And the probably the best way to say it is the non-sanctified appetites of the body. Romans 8, 6. Now, you're gonna, if you'll listen, you'll learn something. You might think, well, we're really in familiar territory here. We're going to say some things that you need to hear because some of you think something about your body that you should not. You should... You're going to get an adjustment here if you'll stay with me and it'll help you as you minister to the Lord and the Lord ministers through you in the future. Because we have so many different messages around here and rightfully so on the appetites of the flesh. And there's an there's an equivocation or an understanding that that's my body that is partially right. And it's also very partially wrong as well. And if you don't recognize the distinction by the word of God, then uh, you'll not be laboring with the Holy Spirit and he'll allow a contempt against you that's levied by the flesh that um, 
the enemy will use it. The enemy will use it against you to abate certain things. Hallelujah. Um, the enemy is with your flesh, which is the carnal mind and the non or unsanctified appetites of the body. Now, I'm going to read this. You can write it down or you can turn there. But Romans 8, 6 and 7 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity, or the word enemy is an enemy against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. I'm going to read that again. For the carnal mind, or the carnal, yes, the carnal minded, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is an enemy or enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can it be. Now let's just talk about the flesh for a moment. For those of you that are kind of been around here for a while, we speak a spiritual ease. Uh, you know, we, we speak a language among ourselves that sometimes we don't. We, we speak over the heads of a lot of people listening because some people are growing and they don't quite understand. And as a teacher, you have to discern the crowd that you're speaking to. Now, there is going to be a group come in here in the days ahead. Our teaching will be geared down some at times. Do you understand that? We can't teach. We will graduate them through the spirit. But you always teach at a level to where people don't teach what you know. If it's over the heads of people, I can teach what I know in here because you understand it. And most of you people out there understand it. But let me say some things about the flesh defined. When we say the word flesh, it's just assumed that everybody knows and thinks about what the flesh is or knows what we're talking about, about the flesh. Many times it can be can, uh, assumed or thought of as the body. That's, that's partially right, but it's not entirely right. The flesh, as in carnal appetites, can mean the body. But the body in itself is not the flesh, as in carnal appetites. Did you hear that? Now, I got plenty of proof on that, but just listen. The flesh, as in carnal appetites, can mean scripturally, contextually, it can mean the body. But the body in itself is not the flesh, as in carnal appetites. Okay? Carnal appetites, meaning things contrary to the mind or righteousness of God, it is mostly defined, as I said, contextually. Now, the little bit of the subject that I'm teaching right now, for anyone that is a teacher and understands spirit, soul, and body, the definitions of the flesh, you understand that there is like, it's a whole library. It's a whole ocean. You could teach volumes. You can't, there's no way to teach all of it tonight. You just give a little tip of the iceberg, but you give what he gives so that you get an understanding. So here's an example of what I'm trying to say or what he is trying to say. So we're leading into something. We're going someplace. The appetite of the body to eat is not sin. That's not sin. That's not sinful. It's the excess or gluttony of the body that is sinful and could be called carnal or the flesh in that sense. So what we're trying to do here is we're, we're taking a scalpel and we're removing you from always thinking if you do or to your future possibility of thinking of the body in itself as carnal. Although, contextually at times, it could be describing. 
another example, not only eating, the appetite of the body in marriage for physical intimacy is not sinful. It is the appetite of the body in excess that would go outside of marriage that is carnal and sinful. I think you might be saying, well, we get that, Pastor. I understand that's A, B. It is to some, but in excess of understanding and not keeping the proper balance, um, you can have an unhealthy understanding concerning what carnality is, what flesh is, and how your body plays the role in all these things. Romans 8 and 9, or Romans 8, 9 and 10 says this, but if you are of the flesh, but you're not of the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, which is the born again spirit, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, which if you're born again, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now we went through that last week and that was last week's last Wednesday's message on fasting and the body was declared dead, which is a positional truth. Your body, you you know, factually your body's not dead because I'm standing here talking to you and the sanctified parts of you are very should be still alive you know you like to eat you like to you know your body's alive okay we understand that but god declared something in the spirit which is a positional truth that your body has been declared dead because of sin or because of the possibility of sin or the appetites of sin that still live in the body now listen to this statement god declares the whole body dead that we may execute against the unsanctified appetites. In other words, God just, it was really, he couldn't pick and choose. He just said, I'll just declare the whole body spiritually, I'll just declare it in the spirit as being dead. So that you can take the power of the new nature and execute authority over it. And then the also's that we ministered last week, the praying in tongues, the fasting, that only enforces, it doesn't replace, it only enforces the power of the new nature. But God says, I'm not even going to try to to pick and choose the sanctified or unsanctified parts of the, the body. I'll just declare it all dead. Do you see that? It's all dead so that if any part of it that is not pertaining to righteousness rises up, you can say, no, you're dead. You're dead. God declares the whole body dead that we may execute against the unsanctified appetites. What, what are the unsanctified? The deeds of the body. The deeds of the body. You notice here, he says in Romans 8, 12 and 13, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, he didn't even say if you mortify the body. He said the deeds of the body. Do you understand that? Do you see that? It's a distinction. If you, if you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, last week we talked about fasting uh, and praying in tongues and, and how they have uh, you know, a part in, they can part, play a supplemental part in mortification. But listen, the reason why fasting works is because of the born-again spirit. It's the execution of Romans 8, 1 and 2. The power of the law, the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus. It's also the execution of the power that your body has been declared dead. Uh, Dave used to say it like this. It does Mahatan Mah- 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 Gandhi. Who is that? Most people don't, you know, the younger ones don't even know who Gandhi is. He was that great, supposedly uh, Indian leader of India. And he would fast long periods of time. The religions of the world, we're not a religion, we're a family. But the religions of the world, they all fast. The Hindus, the Buddhists, the Tibetan monks, they all fast. And they all fast, they say, to cleanse, to purge themselves of unwantful desires. But it does, if you're not born again, 
your sinner friend can fast until they die of anorexia and it will not execute any positional truth of death against carnality because there's nothing to execute it. They have to be born again. The, the religions of the world, it doesn't matter how long they fast, it will not execute anything because the execution is the positional truth that your spirit is declared dominant over your flesh. So that's very, very powerful. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. That just boils down to born again. The activation of the power of the new nature has set you free from that law of sin and death. Now listen to this. The power of the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus was not executed in your body. That didn't take place in your body. Didn't take place in your body. It was executed in and through your spirit. Therefore, it is entirely possible for your body to have the same sinful appetites after being born again as it did before you were born again. That's a possibility. It is possible. Are you still with me? It is possible that through the power of the new nature in and through the born again spirit that all the excesses or sinful appetites are brought under immediately under immediate subjection at the moment of salvation in other words no more cravings the cravings can stop does that always happen the it's amazing it's it's not supposed to be the standard because really, according to the word, everything died under that clause. Everything died under that immediate. So if the, if the new nature is allowed to live itself out fully, even the little guys are supposed to leave. Usually the big boys or the bad boys or the killers usually go, if you're truly born again. But then a lot of times the little stuff is allowed to stay. And that's not a court because of the weakness of the new nature. It's just because you're, you're giving excuse to it. But our bodies, I'll read that part again because I've got to read this, the but. It is possible that through the power of the new nature, in and through the born-again spirit, that all the excesses or excessive or sinful appetites are brought under immediate subjection at the moment of salvation. But because our bodies were not part, uh, not the part of us that was supernaturally changed, it is always possible for the body to sin. And we know that. Yeah, I mean, this, for some of you, that sounds like this is uh, first grade. But for many others, you're hearing this for the first time. It is possible to cleanse all the strongholds out of the body and soul. That's possible, very possible, and should be. But it's always possible for the body to, and the soul to regrow what was once destroyed. It can all, just because a stronghold, you said, man, I had that stronghold for years. I was in between a, a, a liar and a horrible exaggerator. And I got rid of it. But. You went for five years and then you started back again. And so anything that was ever, ever cleansed or ever brought out or stopped. If you don't continue to winnow your garden, keep all of the, the weeds out, they can grow back again. Because that's just the power of the flesh. The execution of the spirit's. Power, the born again spirit's power over the body was, but it was two things. Listen, it was two things. It was immediate, but it's also ongoing. It's two dynamics. It's not just one. It was immediate. It had the power to do all of it, to flush it all out at once. But the power of the new nature is an ongoing 
dominance to be executed at all times. Second Timothy 1 7. I'm just reading these. You can write them down or turn to them later. For the God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. That word is deutimus. He's talking about the power of the new nature. He's talking about that explosive power that we normally refer to the Holy Ghost in casting out devils, raising the dead, healing the sick. And we do need the Holy Ghost for that. But this specifically is talking about that explosive moment of power that drove out all of everything that was contrary to the new nature at the moment of salvation. God has not given us a spirit of God has not given us a born again. That's how the God has not given us a born again spirit. God, let me read it like for God has not given us a born again spirit of fear, but a born again spirit of power, a born again spirit of love and a born again spirit of sound mind. Hallelujah. So that deutimus drove everything out or had the potential to drive everything out. Anything left over was there because of permission. Paul said this concerning his daily walk. And why stand ye in jeopardy every hour? This is 1 Corinthians 15, 30 and 31. I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die daily. He wasn't talking about his physical body dying daily, although he talked about that the body's always perishing. But he said, I'm in a daily dying position matthew sixteen twenty four. then said jesus unto his disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross i want to put in there so bad let him take up his cross daily and follow me galatians two twenty says paul said this and this is a continuation it wasn't a one time even by its wording it's a continuation i am continually i am in a state of, I am, this is going on. This is not one, one and done. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul talked about his continual place of being crucified with Christ. So again, death is... That spiritual death, it's all at once, and it's also continual. Do you see that? It's also a continual place. I've said before, because of how our because we're going to say something in a minute concerning your body, and you need to catch this, because this is kind of the newer part of what I want you to see. It's not newer as in a wowie, like a wowser, but it's something that is a subtle kind of disposition that you may have. Um, not because of default of, of bad preaching, but, but if you don't understand this part, as I said, um, it'll make a difference. But concerning our, our disposition concerning the flesh, I, and I'm not, again, I'm not talking about just the body. I'm talking about an unholy alignment of unsanctified uh, appetites of the body. And an unsanctified or unrenewed parts of the soul. I've said this kidding and obviously I'm kidding. I said, I'll be, I, my disposition is I'll be 30 minutes in heaven and I still won't trust my flesh. Well, I, that's, that's meant to be comical because we know this. You, you, there's no sin in heaven. You get a glorified body when you, you know, when you go there or, at, you know, when this whole thing is over, we're all going to have glorified bodies. But the disposition is this. You never, ever trust your flesh. You never, ever. Ishmael cannot live in the camp of inheritance. Our inheritance is the born again nature. It's the first fruits of the spirit. And we cannot negotiate as in trusting it to give us any insight or any or any kind of check all of our dependency has to be on being crucified with christ as far as trusting you know i can trust myself to do this or trust myself not to do this um 
Defining the flesh and body in con- t- context to carnality. Let's talk about that for just a moment. It's a, uh, it's a misnomer. Uh, what's a misnomer? It's a wrong way to say it. Okay. I'd say it like that. A misnomer. It's, it's a, it's a misnomer to state that my body is my enemy or that my body is evil. That's incorrect. Or that my soul is my enemy or that my soul is evil. Okay. It is scriptural to state that your body has the capacity of unsanctified, I don't think unsanctified is necessarily a word, non-sanctified, I'll make it one, unsanctified desires. It is scriptural to state that your body has the capacity of unsanctified desires and that your soul has the capacity of unsanctified thoughts and emotions. To think that your body is evil is wrong. Okay? To think that your soul is evil is wrong. You must distinguish the appetites and desires that are unsanctified from just blanketing the body and the soul. What do you mean? Okay, I'll tell you, I'll say it like this. To wake up in the morning, not that anybody necessarily, I haven't heard anybody say this, but to wake up in the morning and think this, I am trapped in something that is evil. That's incorrect. That's incorrect scripturally. It's incorrect for you to think that way. I know that's how many of you feel sometimes. We've all had flesh battles. But how do I know that's incorrect? Well, First Thessalonians, you should turn here. You should look at this. First Thessalonians, because some of you may be having a little... Like, Pastor, are you really, do you, are, absolutely. First Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 22. Paul wouldn't have said this to us if what I had just said wasn't true. Abstain from all appearance of evil, verse 22, and the very God of peace sanctify you holy w-h-o-l-l-y and he says it twice completely holy and i pray your whole spirit w-h-o-l-e spirit and the implied or the the understanding is the wholeness is to be in all of everything that he is saying here and the very god of peace sanctify you holy And I pray your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to think of your body always being a place of evil, then there's no reconciliation here. The body is to come and should be understood that it can come to a place where it is wholly and completely sanctified unto God. Amen. I didn't get enough amens. I'm showing you exactly from the word, okay? Faithful, and it says, faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. In other words, he will do it. He can sanctify your body to where that it comes to a place and your soul where it comes to a place where it is obviously under the subjection of the born-again nature, but God says that it's a place that is preserved blameless. Absolutely blameless. Blameless. Glory be to God. Ephesians 5, let's look at this. 525. You can hear some people out there, I don't care what you say. My body's evil. My soul's evil. No, well, you, you're, you're not scripturally dividing the, you're not properly dividing the word of God. And you'll get in a mess by not doing so. Chapter 5, verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved. Now, so he's going to make a, 
an analogy here, but he's also going to talk about the physical body. Husband, hu- husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water of the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, it, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. So in this sense, the word is saying for there to be a proper love, a man has to nurture and take care and appreciate and love his body. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. And he's using this as an example of how much Christ loves the church. Okay, but he's giving the example of how that we should appreciate our own bodies. For we are members of his body and his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Another scripture, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We're not going to teach on it tonight, but somebody said, what is perfecting filthiness or taking filthiness out of flesh and spirit well dave used to define it as spirit being wrong believing he said don't get crazy you know because we we talk about the power of the born again nature and we'll talk some more and we'll bring some more clarity to that in the future but if that question comes up what is filthiness of spirit it's really wrong doctrine and that's rampant in the church first corinthians 6 5 i'll read this for you you can turn there if you'd like yeah, I think a 6.15. I think you should turn there. Six fifteen says this. Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ, are the members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of a harlot? God forbid. What? He says this a number of times. He's like, what? Know ye not that he which is joined to a harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one, one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Hallelujah. Our born-again spirit has made us one with the Lord. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Do you think that the Holy Spirit goes, okay, I'm living in the body, which I refer to it as the temple, but Father God, i got to tell you, I, I'm living in an evil, evil place. That's not how he looks at it. He says it's a temple. Now, we have to keep it pure. We have to keep it holy. But for your... Now, you have to have an aggressive disposition against the flesh, which we have defined. And you have to have an aggressive position against the body, the body appetites that are unsanctified. Well, we know what unsanctified is because we have a list of all the things that are unsanctified. But our bodies here are listed as the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits, or spirit, which, it, which are of God's simple put. Let me just say it like this. I am not to live with sour apples, with a sour apples attitude towards my body, but rather a crucified with Christ attitude that produces... A, my body is, glorif- is glorifying Christ everywhere I go. My body is not my enemy, 
because I continually crucify it in regards to the affections and lust thereof, bringing it into subjection, having preached or bringing it um, in regards to the affections and lust thereof, and bring it into subjection, lest having preached to others, I should become a castaway. And of course, I'm including some verses in that. The verse. Uh, the first one was in Galatians 5.24. And they that are of Christ have crucified the flesh and the affections and lust. But I keep, Paul said this in 9, 1 Corinthians 9.27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should become a castaway. Now this, now listen to this. The body can become a friend if it serves you in service for christ it can become a friend i heard somebody say the other day and it was i was like wow (laughs) i can't even remember who said it but they said they heard kenneth hagan say he says "I, i i'll go for 10 years and not even know i'm in a body and i'm like what what i what i understood him to say is like I can go all that time and it never gives me a fit. Somebody said, no, no, no. There's always a war. I know there's always a war against the body. Somebody said, that's impossible. What he was saying, what I understood him to say is, I live in such a place of continual death that I don't even have that war with my flesh. What, somebody said, well, there's always a war. There's a war, but let me describe it this way. Can, let me see if I can pontificate just for a moment. <laughs> there is a, I would call it this. There's a hard no and a soft no. What do you mean by that? Well, there's the, uh, there's the uh, First Peter 4. You know, per, First Peter 4 said, uh, arm yourself. I don't have that scripture in front of me, but he says, arm yourself with this mind like Christ was. He that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Okay? We've, we've, there, there, there can be, and I'm not even going to try to teach all that. That's a lot to teach. But we, we can teach that like, okay, and I've said this before. If you have to sweat bullets to not sin, then do it. Suffer in the flesh so you can cease from sinning. But that's not supposed to be your life. That's not supposed to, in other words, there's a hard, I don't see when Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, that I keep under my body, there's nothing inside me, not even the faintest that sees Paul in a dark room confessing, sweating bullets and saying, I say, I'm not going to commit this fornication that's against me. I'm not going to commit this fornication. No way possible. He had mortified and left left himself in a place continually where it was a soft no. There can be a hard no. Like, I'm suffering. No, no, I'm not going to do it. But that's not, the, that's not the mortified life. That's not the life of... Uh, that's, in other words, Kenneth Hagin was describing that if his body... Evidently, he wasn't bragging. He was just saying he kept himself under so, so much that whatever come, Do you know, uh, you really should live a life... We all should live a life where anything that comes like a sin, uh, you hardly even have to stop and rebuke it or even say no to it. You just keep right on going because that's it. There's a hard no or that I'm not. There's no scripture on that other than than all scripture. We understand there's no way possible that Jesus in his resisting sin on a daily basis was in a place, now I can tell you the emotions may have came, but it didn't affect him like the man that had been giving himself over to emotions. It didn't affect him like he didn't have to go, boys, I got to, I can't, I can't talk to you right now because I'm, lust is coming after me right now and I got to really go buckle down and get, no. He lived out of the power of the new nature so that everything was a soft no. It was like, no, 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 no. And it just continually continually so in that if you're living in a place at continual odds against your body 
All I can say is continue to know that the, the Spirit has the power to dominate it. If you have to add fasting and prayer to it, do it. But the way of the revivalist is not a way of arrived like we've all arrived. But there's not, there comes a place. What did he say? Better. What did he say? What did he say? What did Peter say exactly? For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm or equip yourself. This is 1 Peter 4. Arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Hallelujah. There's a purging process. I'll give you that. But the purging process is not always, it it should come past, you should get past a place where there's no more purging concerning the killer sins. Way past any purging of killer sins. And you're just in a place where you're going forward where you say, okay, body, you're going to serve me. And here's the thing too, we're closing with this. The more you keep the body under, I, I think that's probably the state where Smith Wigglesworth was. He just, they said he prayed all the time. And so in that constant state of prayer, he had to be keeping the body under. So for people to men to say things like, I didn't, I, I, I'll go 10 years, not even know I, I've got a body. What he's talking about, it doesn't give me a fit. And, and somebody will say, no, he, he's just exaggerating that, that thing's got to give him a fit at times. Not if you keep it under completely. All the time. Whatever comes won't be that level of threat. It won't be like, oh God, this is really hard. I can't hardly stand this. I got really got to go pray. If you keep it dead all the time, you'll be able to make statements like that. That's where we're headed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Did you enjoy tonight? I pray. Let's all stand. Father, we worship you. We thank you. That our bodies are to serve us. They're not our enemies. Our souls are not our enemies. Our souls are in a position where by your word they can be sanctified. We can love our souls. We can love our bodies. And we can thank you for them. Because they're sanctified unto God. My body's my friend. It serves you, Lord. I refuse it to serve sin or appetites of sin. Therefore, it can become sanctified wholly unto God. It becomes a friend that's in service for me in pursuit of the things of God. My soul is a friend. Lord, I worship you and I thank you that as revivalist that we are going forward in the power of your spirit and I give you all the praise and glory. God bless you tonight. We love you all. Amen.